Welcome, Valley family. We are picking back up our series that we've been in, really the majority of the summer, uh, that we're calling Thrones as we're working our way through uh, the book of Judges. And we're asking ourselves this question over and over again, uh, who is on the throne of your heart? And uh, we're going to have that opportunity as well as we're uh, going to cover three chapters in our time together today. Specifically, uh, want to talk about hot dog faith. How many of you love hot dogs? Okay, someone, there's one other person. That's really wonderful. Uh, let me just tell you, you may not like hot dogs, but most Americans do. How about that? Uh, for instance, did you know on July 4th alone, Americans consume 150 million hot dogs? Just on July 4th, 150 million hot dogs. And, uh, you know, have you ever looked at the back of a package of a hot dog? Uh, you know, uh, when you buy some hot dogs, of what's in there, there's all kinds of additives and preservatives and all kinds of things like that. You, you know, so the shelf life of hot dogs, I don't know, is something like 83 years or, or something like that. But uh, I, I love hot dogs. But, you know, we're going to talk about hot dog faith specifically as we look at another one of these judges uh, named Jephthah. And, and he's a lot like a lot of Christians are. This is why we call it hot dog faith. Add a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I'll take a little of this, and I'll take a little of that, and I'll take a little of this. And we say, this is my faith. I'm a Christian. When in actuality, it looks nothing like Christianity at all. Because we've added so many other things to it that we don't find anywhere in the pages of Scripture. And, and so we're going to cover three chapters in our time uh, together today. Judges chapter 10, Judges chapter 11, and Judges chapter 12. So I just want to invite you to go ahead and, and open up your Valley Christian Church app. You'll be f able to follow right along. And, and we want to welcome all those that are uh, watching us on our online campus and, and also in Poughkeepsie, at our Poughkeepsie campus uh, as well. Thank you for joining with us today. And so what I want to do is, is give us a, a quick overview uh, through uh, Judges chapter 10. And uh, uh, again, this is going to be in your notes, the outline here. And, and we're going to go through it real quick. And then I want to just pull out some real application for us. Uh, this is one of those stories we're going to see that as you read through this, you're like, this is the most horrific thing I've ever heard in my life. But it's in the Bible. And that's why we do say that it's PG-13 a lot of times because we've got to talk about some stuff. We've got to look at some stuff. And the Bible is not even PG-13. It's rated R at best. And, and so first of all, Judges chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, we see a nation that's in decay. A nation that's absolutely in decay. In, in fact, it says in verse 10, again, the nation turns from the Lord and practices idolatry. So over and over again, we see this cycle that we talked about in week number one of our series, that the, the nation turns to idolatry, worships idols, and, and hard times and destruction and devastation comes upon the nation of Israel. And, and then they turn from their sin, they cry out to God, and God raises up a judge. And when we say judge, we've learned, don't, don't think about it in terms of Bible terms, uh, like someone with a robe and a gavel, but, but a judge is a hero, a judge is a deliverer. And so over and over again, God raises up these judges. In fact, uh, what we're going to look at uh, in our time together, Jephthah is the eighth judge that's mentioned. By the time we're done, we'll get to judge 11, 12, and 13 during our time together today. So a lot of ground that we're going to cover. And, and so Israel again sins, and, and God rebukes them, and he says, you've abandoned me once again uh, in Judges chapter 10. And he says, so I'm not going to rescue you anymore. And he basically says, cry your eyes out. I'm not going to help you again. 
And he says, and when you come into hard times and difficulty, call on your idols and see how well they, they, they rescue you. He says, how are those idols working out for you? Does, do you get the feeling God's kind of ticked in Judges chapter 10? He, he's had it with this cycle that goes on and on and on and on. But then in verse 15 and 16, there's a real revival that takes place. And the nation of Israel turns away from their idolatry. And then there's a resolution. The people determine, you know what, we, we, we need to crown someone to rule over us. And if anyone can save us from the Ammonites, they were the ones that were the current threat to Israel, the Ammonites, whoever that is, they'll be the one, that person will be the one that's going to rule over us. And so it's a nation in decay. And then the next thing we see, a leader in demand. In Judges chapter 11, we just covered Judges 10. How about that? Judges chapter 11, uh, verse uh, 1 through 29, and then 32 through 33. And this is where we see this, this gentleman named Jephthah for the first time. And, and he actually was rejected by his family. The reason being, he was a half-brother of all of his siblings because his mother was a prostitute. And, and so his siblings just like, we don't want anything to do with you. And so they threw him out of the house. And, and so he's a reject. He knows what it means to be despised and rejected and driven out of his home. And he forms a band of rebels, almost like the mafia. Like, like they, these are like the worst, like, like feared people in the nation of Israel. And, and, and when they're looking for a leader, when they're looking for some help, the nation of Israel says, hey, what about that cold-blooded killer Jephthah? What if he leads us? And so they come to Jephthah and they said, would you lead us and our armies against the Ammonites to overthrow them? He was like a, Jephthah was like a Jason Bourne. Or, or Jack Bauer, you, you know, and, and you kind of get the feeling he's like, are you sure you want to trust me with this? And they're like, yes, we need you. We need you desperately. And so there was a leader who was in demand. And, and so Jephthah goes to the Ammonites and he says, listen, let's negotiate. And they just laugh him out and insult him. And they're like, we don't want anything to do with it. We're not listening to you or anything. And he tried really, really hard to persuade them to return the land back to Israel that belonged to them. And then finally, in verse 29 of Judges chapter 11, he becomes Jephthah the soldier. And it says here in Judges chapter 11, verse 29, it says, at that time, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Now, this is pretty interesting, and, and I want to spend just a, a moment of time explaining what this means when it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Israel has come to him and said, we want you to be the guy. You know, we, we understand, like, okay, Jason Bourne, you're the man. And we want you to lead the armies of Israel. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. At that moment, God's Spirit came upon Jephthah to actually deliver the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, we see this phrase a lot of times, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon someone. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon someone. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon someone. Many Christians have the wrong idea, an Old Testament idea like this, that this is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes upon people, and then he goes back up, and he comes down, and he goes up, and he's like a yo-yo, and you never know where he's going to appear, and he jumps from people to people to people, and it's like, you know, we got to woo him, we got to coax him, we got to ask him, we got to plead. That's all Old Testament. In the New Testament, after Jesus' is. Uh, crucifixion and resurrection he told his followers he said wait in Jerusalem and I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit and when I do the Holy Spirit's not going to come upon you the Holy Spirit will fill you 
You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's like the difference, the Old Testament Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's like drinking water, drinking a cup full of water. In the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like diving into a pool. There's a big difference. Both have to do with water. But there's a big difference between the two. But in the Old Testament, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And so it was a nation in decay, a leader in demand, and, and then we see a father in despair. What happens here? A father in despair. Jephthah, something awful happens to Jephthah. What happens is this, and it's so important that we notice this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and God was already going to give him the victory. But Jephthah's faith in God was a mixture. He had hot dog faith. He had additives and preservatives. Because remember, the nation of Israel is just coming out of worshiping idols. And Jephthah does something that you would do to an idol in worshiping. He's not really sure and convinced that God is really good. He's not really convinced and positive that God has his best interests at heart. He does not have that conviction that we need to have, that God is love, and everything that God does in our life is motivated by love. And so Jephthah makes a vow. He makes a vow to God. And we see this in Judges chapter 10, uh, Judges 11, verses 30 through 31. And it says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now, I know none of us ever do this, do we? Make deals with God? A person who makes deal with God does not understand who God really is. It, it, it's, it's, it, we're adding and we're putting preservatives. It's hot dog faith. That like, God, I'll go to church five weeks in a row if you'll just do this for me. If you just do this for me, God, I'll put some more money in the offering. And, and, and it's really kind of a, a pagan idolatry form of worship where we're like we got to pull levers and push buttons and try to get on God's side so he'll do what we really want him to do and we're trying to manipulate him to do what we want him to do instead of he's God what does he want me to do and I know he loves me and no matter what he asks of me it's for my best interest even if it's hard even if it's difficult it's ultimately for my best Remember, we already read, the Spirit of the Lord had already come upon Jephthah. But he's pulling levers and pushing buttons like he's dealing with some other foreign god, some sort of idol. Just mixing in with his relationship with the one true God, the only God. This kind of bargaining with pagan idols. And sure enough, what happened is, God gave him the victory. God gave him the victory over the Ammonites. And we pick up the story in Judges chapter 11, verse 34. And it says, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him? Remember the vow that he made. But his daughter. His daughter dancing to the sound of timbrels. That's like tambourine. 
And she was, only, he, she was his only child. And he'd made a vow. God, whoever comes through that door, I'll kill him. And I'll burn him at the stake. And I'll sacrifice him to you. And his one and only child walks through the door. She was his only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And the story continues. And when he saw her, saw her, he tore his clothes and he cried. Oh no, my daughter, you brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord and I cannot break it. PG-13. Serious stuff. story goes on she replies my father you've given your word to the Lord do to me just as you promised now the Lord has avenged you of your enemies and the Ammonites she says give me a little bit of time in fact give me two months and, and, and I'm asking for two months so I can go up in the hills with my friends and I can mourn and I can grieve because I'm never going to marry, I'm going to die. And after two months' time, she comes back and she surrenders herself to her father. And he kills her and he burns her alive, all her remains. To keep her vow to God. To keep his vow to God. A father in despair made a vow to God. If you do this, this is what I'll do. And God did it. Remember, he didn't even have to make a vow to God. The Spirit of God had already come upon him. But because he did not know the true character of God, that God loves him, and God wants what's best for him, and God had already prepared a victory for him, he made this promise to God. And it literally cost him That's the end of Judges chapter 11. And then we get into Judges chapter 12. And we see a ruler in defense. In Judges chapter 12, the people, the one of the tribes of Israel, Ephraim, threatens Jephthah for not allowing them to share in the victory of the Ammonites. They're like, how come you didn't invite us to this party? Why don't we, you share some of the spoils of, of war with us? And he's like, I did invite you. You didn't want to come. And so Jephthah is so angered by their insults, the, the people of the, the tribe of Ephraim, that he attacks them and he slaughters 42,000 of his own countrymen. 42,000 of Israel. He slaughters them. A ruler defending himself. We finish out Judges chapter 12 with three more judges. It says very, very little about them. Their names, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. They end up being the, the, the next judges until we pick up this story again next week as we begin to look at this, probably the most famous of all the judges that we know, Samson. We'll spend a few weeks with him. And so that's a quick overview of these three chapters, Judges 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12 as well.
So what do we make of this? What, what do we make of this, uh, this story of Jephthah? In the remaining time that we have, I want to talk about the Jephthah in us. Because there's something about and that's why God's word is so important. It's like a mirror into who we are. And it shows us these, these hidden places in our lives that we would never know about otherwise. We'd never realize. And as I studied this story of Jephthah more and more and more, I realized, you know what? There's some Jephthah in me. Every time that we approach God in some sort of foreign, bizarre weird way or our faith we add to it something from somewhere else that we don't find in God's word it's like that same hot dog faith that Jephthah had where he felt like he had to strike a bargain with God for God's will to be done but God had already prepared a way for him there's really three different uh, lessons I think or issues that we need to take a look at as we apply this story of Jephthah and the tragedy with his daughter and the 42,000 that were slaughtered as well in the tribe of Ephraim. Here, here's the first lesson, I guess. We put it this way. Culture influences a lot more than we realize. Our culture influences us so much more than we want to admit and so much more than we even realize. See, as strange and as crazy and as bizarre and as heartbreaking as it sounds, this father sacrificing his daughter as a burnt offering, it was very common in Jephthah's culture. It was very common in his culture, in idol worship at the time, that parents would sacrifice their children, kill them, and burn them, and worship to idols. This is not something, in fact, Jephthah even had the, the first five books of the Bible were already written, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, it talks about shedding innocent blood. And it talks about that God will judge those that shed innocent blood. But Jephthah knew the culture more than he knew the commandments of God. He, he was swayed by what was common, what was popular, and he didn't realize what God had commanded him. And so he made this vow. God, if you'll give me victory, whoever walks through the door, whatever walks through the door, I'll sacrifice it. It wasn't an accident. In all likelihood, having done some study about it, he, he really was thinking maybe it was going to be a servant. Sometimes, some scholars say, well, maybe he thought it would be an animal, you know, like a, a household animal. There were no household animals back then. There weren't dogs and cats living inside of the home, sleeping in the bed. That didn't happen. What he probably thought it was, was he probably thought it was going to be one of his servants that walked through, but it was his one and only daughter. Instead, when he made the vow in all likelihood, he knew, I'm going to sacrifice a human being, because that's what all these other idols require. And so he was more familiar with the culture than he was the commandments of God. You ever done anything like this before? <laughs> that, that we approach God in some sort of cultural way because we know more about our culture than really what God's word has to say? See, culture's not necessarily a bad thing, and I've shared this many years ago, and I thought it'd be good to revisit it, but three outlooks or responses to culture. There's three things we can do with culture. 
First of all, we can reject it. Some things in our culture today, American culture, we need to reject categorically because it, it's not like, take last week, for instance, as we talked about racial reconciliation. This is not something we have to wonder about. I wonder what God thinks about on this subject. It's very, very clear what God says about it in the Bible. And so there's some things that like, that's not for me because I'm a follower of Christ. And so when it comes to culture, we have to look at what does God's word say? And if it doesn't line up with God's word, we have to reject that. That's not for me. I may not understand all the nuances. I, God doesn't have to explain himself, but I know this. He has my best interest at heart, and he loves me. And so if, if I see in his word where he says, that's not for you, Greg, then I don't want that. We need to reject that. Or we can receive it. Or we can receive an element of culture. We, we see it in the scripture, like, hey, that's okay. That's all right. That's, that's fine for me. God, God allows that. And so we can receive that. So all these things in culture, they're not necessarily all bad or, or, or all good for that matter. That's why we need to know God's word. And the third thing that we can possibly do as an option is redeem it. Redeem it. Take, take for instance... I grew up this way. It's pretty interesting, uh, the difference between my family and Susie's family. Uh, when, when we got together, both Christian families, but in, in my family, like, we didn't go to the movies. Like, going to the movies was like this very special event because there was this feeling back then, if Jesus came back and you were in a movie theater, you were going to get left behind because it's worldly. That was the way that I was raised. And so it was like very rare that we actually went to the movie theater. Susie's family, her dad was military. They had movies on base all the time. They went to the movies all the time. They went to the movies all the time. It's all kinds of movies. My family, though, we could listen to the radio. We could listen to whatever we want. My mother would always just say this. Uh, I'd come home and I bought a cassette tape, you know, at Record World in the, uh, you know, Fishgill Mall or something like that. And I uh, bought a cassette tape. And as soon as I brought it in, she's like, what'd you get, son? And I said, oh, I got this cassette tape. You know, this is Genesis, you know, or something like that. And she'd go, Genesis, that sounds biblical. Let me see it. And so I'd, I'd pull out the bag and, and she'd go, take open the plastic. And I'd open the plastic and she'd go, oh, it has the words. Let me read. And she goes, you can come back in half an hour. Let me read all these words. And she would read every lyric to every song. And if she approved, she'd like, well, you enjoy that, son. But if she didn't, she'd say, and you just go take that right back and return it right now. Because she passed everything through and taught me to pass everything through. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Called it the Philippians filter. Whatsoever things are good. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are a noble report. Think on the, it just goes on and on. Think on these things, positive things. And Susie's family, if it wasn't church music, it was devil's music. And so you just don't listen. You can't listen to music. But what happened now, this is long before like, like of the music industry, the Christian music industry was what it was, what it is now. But many Christians began to recognize, you know what? We can redeem this. We can redeem this. This can be a tool that, that actually we can share the gospel with people that would listen to music but otherwise wouldn't come to church. And so it's a cultural thing that can be redeemed as well. I know the CFO of a, a huge, huge uh, Christian production movie company called Pure Flix. 
And that's what they literally do is they literally produce these great Christian films. They have great gospel messages, but it's not like people walking around with robes and beards and staffs. You know, it's not all Bible stories all the time, but it's about real people. And so those are the three options that we have when it comes to culture. Reject it because the Bible clearly says, no, that's not good for you as a follower of Christ. We can receive it like, oh, I see it. God says it's all right. God says this is a good thing. Or we can actually redeem it. Those three things. But in order to do this, watch this now, you've got to know what God's word says. You have to know what the Bible says. It is so important. And Jephthah didn't know, and it was clearly written for him. But he allowed his life to be shaped more by the culture than by God's word. That's why we see these things happening. And for Jephthah, it cost him his daughter's life, and it cost 42,000 people their life. Because rather than allowing God's word to shape him, he allowed the culture to form his opinions and shape him. This is why, this is why I, don't, I don't preach out of Reader's Digest or Sports Illustrated. This is why it's God's word. This is why even this summer it's so important that we go through one book of the Bible. Because as I said before, that, that, that I just have a conviction as a pastor that, that if someone is here for just one year and then they get transferred or move away or something, at least they'll know one book of the Bible much, much better than they ever knew it before. So we need to know God's word if we're going to allow his word to shape us instead of our culture. Culture influences us a whole lot more than we realize or than we want to admit. It's also important not only knowing God's word, but I think it's important also to be in a small group for this reason. Because none of us can really become real efficient with God's word overnight, but someone else may know a little bit more. And when we're thinking about making some sort of decision or taking some sort of step, we've surrounded ourselves with, with like-minded Christians who are going to say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but have you checked that through Philippians chapter 4, verse 8? What does that say? And they can show us, what this is what it says. This is what it says here. I, I know what you're thinking about doing, but, but have you read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? Offer your body as a living sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. Are you sure that's what God would want you to be doing with your body? It's so important, not only to know God's word, but surround ourselves with people that know God's word, that can help us as well. Because if not, be a whole lot more of Jephthah inside of us than we want to admit. Here's the second thing, lesson I think from Jephthah, the Jephthah in us, our blind spots devastate those around us. And we all have them. Our blind spots just devastate those around us. Jephthah's daughter was destroyed. 42,000 people were destroyed because of one man's blind spots. This man, Jephthah, the mixture in Jephthah's faith, the hot dog faith that Jephthah had because he added preservatives and additives from other pagan forms of worship, cost a lot of people their lives, including his daughter. You know, in our own culture today, we have also 
different forms of idolatry. You know, even as we, uh, even as I mentioned and I read through that story there in Judges chapter 11 about Jephthah's daughter, something is like, you could, I, I could hear people, ah, ah, that's horrific. That's terrible. But back 5,000 years ago, it wasn't any big deal. Somewhat common, somewhat ordinary in the pagan godless culture that they found themselves in. Idolatry in our country affects and devastates other people just as Jephthah's daughter was devastated. Today in the United States of America, for instance, we just think it's common. It's not so common. One out of every three children in America grow up in single-parent homes. We're just like, big deal. Because it's a huge cultural blind spot for us. One out of every three children. Only a fraction of those are the result of the death of a parent. Most of them are because one parent or sometimes even both decided that their desires were more important than the health and the welfare of their children and their family. I just don't feel fulfilled, so I'm out of here. One in three. I think there are other cultures and probably other generations that would gasp at that statistic. That for us, it's like, no big deal. I did a little background research, Dutchess County Dutchess County, the county in which we live since 1997, there have been an estimated 901 abortions every year in Dutchess County for the last 20 years. 18,000 pregnancies ended. 18,000. Ah, no big deal. Jephthah's daughter. <gasps> 18,000 beating hearts stopped. Huge cultural blind spot. That the scripture is not silent on that issue. Not at all. Our appetite for pornography has created a billion dollar sex industry in our nation. Where the average age of a girl who enters into the pornography business is 13 years old. 13. And we look at Jephthah and go, <gasps> hey, it's legal. I'm not hurting anybody. No, you are. You really are. And so often, just like with Jephthah, it's not individual, it's those around us that are destroyed and devastated relationships torn apart in our country right now in the United States of America 30 million mostly teenagers have been diagnosed with anorexia and bulimia which happens in part because of how highly we are obsessed and exalt the idol of a perfect female figure 30 million teenagers anorexia and bulimia clinically diagnosed huge cultural blind spot 
that we're just like, yeah, that's, that's bad. And that's really what Jephthah, when he did with his daughter, the sacrifice, that was the thought of the culture of that day. Our blind spots devastate those around us. See, I think it's so very important because as a pastor, this is what we're called in to help people with all the time. Things in our culture say, it's no big deal. But we're left to pick up the broken pieces and the shattered dreams and the broken relationships. Holding people that didn't have anything to do with it, but someone they knew, someone that was close to them, was the one that made a decision. And it changed that family forever. And it changed that marriage forever. And it changed those friendships forever. This is what ministry is all about. Those that are broken and those that need it. I think it's so important that we're passionate and asking God to work through us, through our lives. At the same time, I think we also need to be just as passionate to say, God, show me the inconsistencies in my life. Show me the contradictions. Show me the blind spots. Show me where the culture is forming my perspective of who you are and who I'm supposed to be. Instead of letting your word shape me and form me. And all this collateral damage is happening all around me. Yes, God, I ask you to use me. But at the same time, show me what else I'm allowing to sit on the throne of my heart besides you. Speak to me from your word. And let your word be a mirror into my soul. Because I don't want to go around burning up and destroying other people's lives. For something I think is okay. But your word tells me something opposite than that. Culture influences us more than we realize, just like Jephthah. Our blind spots devastate those around us, just like Jephthah. And yet the third thing I think is so important that we realize is this. God's grace is really hard to accept. God's grace is really hard for us to accept. Because there's something inside of us that would rather push the buttons, make the deals, strike the bargains, and pull the levers. God, I'll do this if you'll do that. If you'll do this, I'll do that. Instead of really recognizing and believe in, we can trust him, and he really does love us, and he really does want what's best for you, and he really does want what's best for me as well. Remember, what did Jesus say? I've come that you might have life, and that life would be more abundant. I, I didn't come to steal joy from you. I didn't come to make you miserable. I came to show you how life's supposed to be lived. I, I came to show you what it was really, what you were really created for. Not to take away. He says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you'd have life. That life would be more abundant. God's grace is really hard for us to accept. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace 
that you've been saved through faith. And watch this now. If I could just kind of put a parenthesis in here. And this is not of yourselves. This is not from your bargains that you struck with God. This isn't from pulling the levers and pushing the buttons and saying, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do that for you. It's great grace. It's not from ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works. None of us can earn or deserve or work hard enough for God to forgive us. None of us can. It's a gift from God, and it's really hard to accept that because everything in our culture says work hard and you'll get what you deserve. But the gospel says God loves you and he's not going to give you what you deserve. He gave Jesus what you deserve so that you can have forgiveness and have a relationship with him. What is grace? I've heard this simple definition before using grace as an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That he took my place when he died on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. And he rose again to prove once and for all. It's finished. Which actually is an accounting term in Greek that means paid in full. God's grace is so hard to accept. So let me ask you this. What additives and preservatives have you included in your faith? Do you have a hot dog kind of faith? Like Jephthah? That the culture tells us, do this, do that, do all these different things. Or do we have the kind of faith that the Bible speaks of as grace? We don't deserve it, it's a gift. Man, I'm going to apply it. I'm going to receive that gift of salvation. And I'm going to walk in that amazing grace every day of my life. Faith in the grace of God is the only way to pure, unidulterated Christianity without any mixture. Christianity without any byproducts and, 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 and no additives, no preservatives. It's just gospel through and through with nothing added to it like Jephthah. In what ways would you live differently from this moment in your life forward if you were completely convinced that God was completely committed to love you, to bless you, and to work through your life every moment of every day? Because here's the news flash for you and for me to remind myself as well that's who he is and that's what he does no more bargains no more deals God I trust you you did a pretty good job of like running this thing before I ever showed up I trust you you demonstrated your own love for me in this that while I was still a sinner the scripture says Christ died for me when I wanted nothing to do with him let us not have hot dog faith mixture of culture and Christianity but let us have that pure faith that's by grace we've been saved 
through faith, and it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. God's grace is hard to accept. Every other religion says you got to work hard. Every other religion says you got to do more. Every other religion says you got to work your way to forgiveness. Christianity and Christianity alone says no. God came to die because he loves his creation so much. And we need to receive that gift of God's grace and forgiveness of sins through his son, Jesus Christ. And walk in that every day. No more collateral damage. No more destruction and devastation all around us. But when we call ourselves a Christ follower, that means to actually follow Him. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, when we read this, this story of Jephthah and what happened in his life, Father, it's really a cautionary tale to us. So, Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit has preserved the pages of your scripture for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That We don't have to repeat the same problems, the same troubles, the same destruction and same dev de devastation. But, God, we can choose instead to walk in your grace because of what Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, did for us on the cross and through his resurrection. Father, give us the courage to allow your Holy Spirit to show us the blind spots in our lives, the contradictions, the places and the things that, that are a part of us that really, you know, are dangerous to us. And just like all those additives and preservatives can actually become toxic to us, may we live out this walk of grace with your Holy Spirit guiding us and your word lighting the path that we're on. In Jesus' name we pray.